Welcome to Interchange. I'm Doug Storm. Our show today is a discussion of Atoll Fugard's My Children, My Africa. Our opening song is Johnny Diani's Song for Biko, off of the 1979 album of the same name. All of the music in the show will feature Diani. Johnny Diani, double bassist and pianist, was born and grew up in Duncan Village, a township of the South African city of East London. In the early 1960s, he was a member of South Africa's first integrated jazz band, the Blue Notes. In 1964, the band fled South Africa to seek musical and political freedom. Song for Biko refers to Stephen Biko, the South African anti-apartheid activist, African nationalist, and African socialist, who, in 1977, was tortured, beaten, and murdered by state security services at Valmer Police Station in Port Elizabeth. Direct action and reform politics meet in apartheid South Africa in playwright Atoll Fugard's 1989 play, My Children, My Africa. Within the ruling class, apartheid violence of white South Africa sits a play with a seeming taste for moderation and order in debate and the recognition of the political uses of speech. But the debate is not between the obvious, black and white, powerful and powerless, privileged and impoverished, It's also between old and young, tradition and revolution, male and female, private and public, talk and action. Our show is in two parts. Part one centers on a local production of Fugard's play directed by IU professor Murray McGibbon, set to open on April 27th. I'll speak with McGibbon, who is South African, about his assertion that, quote, the play is a plea for education over violence and thoughtful consideration rather than hot-headedness, unquote. We're also joined by Tara Cusano, who plays Isabel, and Yusef Agunbiade, who plays Tommy. For part two, I'm joined by Michelle Moy, associate professor in the Department of History at Indiana University and associate director of the Center for Research on Race and Ethnicity in Society. Our discussion attempts to apply Fugard's play to the U.S. and in particular to discussions of the liberal humanism of university education and a concern about collaborating with the oppressor within institutional walls. As we raise the curtain, we set the stage for part one of the Stones of Reason on Interchange on WFHB. First, we'll meet the director, Marie McGibbon, and Isabel, played by Tara Kizano. And Yusuf Agumbiade is playing Tommy. Awesome. Thanks for joining me on Interchange. Uh, so the play is, Murray, you want to just set it up for us? Okay. It's My Children, My Africa by the South African playwright Ethel Fugod. And I think it's one of his most poignant, powerful, and omnipresent plays. It's got a, a ring about it that I think is going to speak very powerfully and strongly to a modern audience. Although it was written in 1989, and set in South Africa, I think it's got enormous significance for this country at Mm -hmm. this time. Can you, without giving too much away, just kind of set the stage for it? Well, it takes place in a classroom in the Eastern Cape province of South Africa before Nelson Mandela was released. 
And uh, it's strange working on it now because he talks about things that hadn't happened at that time, which are happening in South Africa, 20-something years after Mandela was released. And it's, I suppose, an expose of the worst instances of racism and racial hatred that people undergo. And he does it in a very poetic, beautiful way, but it packs a punch. Mm. Uh, and I think audiences are going to come out of the play feeling drained, um, certainly moved by it. Uh, it's a play that advocates peace, but it ends up extremely violently, and I don't want to go into the sure. details of that. We'll try not to give it away. <laughs> um, it's, it's a, I, I call it a small play with a big attitude mm. Fugod says that he, he, you know, his his subject matter is quite contained, and he he paints on a small canvas. But oh my goodness, what he paints is huge. Right. And uh, there are uh, there are three performers, three actors, three characters in the play. Yes. Isabel, who's here with us, uh, Tara. Yes. And Yusuf, you play. I play Tommy. Tommy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, welcome. And then uh, Ansley, who's not here right now, but um, he plays Mr. M, Mr. the professor, mm-hmm. teacher. Okay. So, uh, that's it, right? Three characters on the stage in a classroom, primarily, right? Um, and what do you do with, with your stage? It's really after reading, I thought, what's Murray doing as a director in this play? What do you do? Uh, it's it's not the kind of show that needs excessive movement and all sorts of special effects. It's a it's it's a very uh, simple plan. I think you have to be careful in directing it that you don't try and make something of it. You know, you've got to extract what is there inherently in the text. And so there are times when we have sequences that may be going on for more than five minutes, when there's not a lot of action, mm-hmm. but there is a lot of dialogue mm-hmm. and to infuse it with extraneous movement I think would detract from the power of what's being said and so it's a it's a curious piece because uh, it, it breaks all the conventional rules I think of, of an evening at the theatre mm. uh, but by the same token it's one that I think that is going to sit uh, I don't want to use the word heavily but it's, it's certainly going to resonate with mm. audiences mm-hmm. it's not the kind of play that you go to and as you walk out the theatre, you say, well, where should we go and have a drink? Oh, right, right. right. <laughs> I think a lot of people will be going home and not speaking in right, the car on right, the way back. Right. So takes place in 1984. First performed in Johannesburg in July, I think, 1989, mm-hmm. and then in New York in December. So this is three characters, a teacher, a female white student from a rich, posh uh, girls' school uh, and Yusef from uh, the location uh, and yeah. the school that's in the location. Uh, I, I suppose those are the, again the township underdeveloped shanty towns around mm-hmm. uh, the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Port Elizabeth. Port Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and the setup is that um, they're debating. They're a debate. It's a debate. I don't. I don't know what to call it. They're just in a debate class. Um, no, well, I think a lot of schools in South Africa to this day have debating societies. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. and so this would be an inter-school debate. But oh, what okay. was interesting was that at that time, uh, you're talking about 1984. I was actually teaching at a high school in 1984 oh, in mm-hmm. South Africa, and there was absolutely no interchange between white and black schools mm. at all, ever. 
Nothing you heard mm, not of that Not at that time, okay. not at all. Does this, uh, and, does and this strike you as false in the play then? I mean, No. Oh. So I think what it says is that Mr. M mm-hmm. um, was, was extremely uh, ahead of his time mm-hmm. in brokering with a white school mm-hmm. in nearby Port Elizabeth and also the white teacher at that school mm-hmm. was obviously very liberal and um, forward-thinking and so that they brokered this inter-school debate, mm-hmm. which in that time would have been completely unheard of. Right, but it's, as it's a play, uh, I'm asking, do you think it would not have occurred? Oh, no, probably, it probably did, oh, but, okay. um, <laughs> you know, it, it was not common at sure, all to sure. have well, cross-color line right, interchange right. of any kind. Right, There's it's no a, very, sport. a very clear idea that you're setting these pieces in this mm-hmm. play up uh, to be in opposition to each other or to be very clear that they're drawing out these distinctions, right? Yeah, it would be highly unusual to to have that kind of activity Mm -hmm. occurring. This is Doug Storm on Interchange. I'm speaking with Murray McGibbon, Tara Cusano, and Yusef Agunbiadi, the director and two cast members of a local production of Athol Fugard's 1989 play, My Children, My Africa. But what's interesting is a friendship develops between Isabel and Tommy, and um, and that becomes the backbone of the play in a lot of ways because mm-hmm. we see uh, we see them coming together, and then we see the strife. I mean, I don't want to give too much away, but it's just interesting um, to to break those barriers and what happens when those mm-hmm. barriers are broken. It's a hard play to talk about because you do kind of have have to not talk about it. Without revealing how you're, you know, where it's going and what it's what it's doing. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it it gives hints along the way as to the issues that you're going to face. Mm-hmm. Uh, in well, the I think we can talk about most things within the play, except the except the final climax. Okay, okay, I think that okay. Would, that okay. Could be unfortunate. Well, that's good. I appreciate that. We've got a we've got a freedom now to <laughs> speak a little bit. Uh, so, is there? Uh, well, well, let's let let me talk to to you, Tara and Yusuf, about your characters, and also about acting in this play. Uh, this is a very, very, very verbose, you know, verbal mm-hmm. play for a stage. As Murray said, not a lot of action. I don't know if you're trying to create some action sometime. Oh, no, sure. Right? <laughs> because there's, there isn't, I mean, as, especially as you read it, there's, there's simply people talking to each other. Um, and it's a lot of talking. Is there, is there a rhythm you get into when you do this? Or, yeah, you know? and I think a lot of it comes down to intention. Um, I mean, this play reminds me a lot of when I do a Shakespeare. Um, and it's interesting because Shakespeare and Fugard are the most uh, performed playwrights uh, in, in the world. I learned that on an Athel Fugard interview mm. um, podcast. And so mm. what's interesting is um, you that when you really let the text activate you, it becomes active mm. in a way that maybe um, it doesn't it's not as much physical movement, but there's a lot happening because as those intentions keep switching, the scenes get, you know, it's like a roller coaster ride mm-hmm. of, of these dramatic arguments that it's very argumentative in that way that Shakespeare can be. Mm-hmm. And so you, you might be standing there for a long time, for five minutes, but it is very interesting mm-hmm. because of the, the way the language takes twists and turns and information is unveiled and secrets come out and then, uh, you know, the the strong relationship of black versus white coming together in this society and the heated arguments that happen mm-hmm. talking about race is very interesting here. Hmm. I think another one of the interesting aspects of this play, um, we discussed it in rehearsal and Murray brought it up, is um, the constant debate that's going on um, between 
language. And that's language with the words and then language with the violence. You know, how are we going to achieve equality, especially in Tommy's um in Tommy's position, Tommy is struggling to see whether he can achieve freedom for his people, whether it be through English or through playing the game that's being thrown at him. Mm-hmm. His people have been killed. And so should I be persuasive in my words mm-hmm. or should I throw back with stones and sticks, you know? Um, and just because of how dialogue heavy it is, it seems as if that's the pull. That's one of the themes, and it's so relatable to now and today. Mm-hmm. It's like, do we speak less when a violent act happens, or do we speak more? And mm-hmm. how do we trigger progress? Right, right. It's difficult. It's a, there are a lot of um, uh, we talk about persuasion, and it's a, a play set uh, in a, a classroom where they're debating, and it's a play that debates its own positions, and, and the characters are debating positions that you, as an audience, need to start thinking about as well. Um, the idea of persuasion is a tricky one, obviously, because we persuade for bad ends as well as good. Um, but the, I guess the hard part about this is trying to, um, I guess, trying to really be very clear about the situation it takes place in, right? So, um, again, a posh white girl coming into the classroom reacting and and talking to Mr. M very familiarly. And also, you know, it's interesting for Isabel. It's quite a discovery for her because she's so used to being on top and she's so used to being privileged that she doesn't understand that other people don't have what she has. Mm -hmm. So she actually learns that through the course of this play. And, um, and it, very innocently so, though, like not in the sense like, oh, I know I'm so privileged, just like, wow, I always thought everybody had what I had because she's just never been told that this is this is life. You know, like her parents have raised her in this bubble mm-hmm. and they have kept her separate. And she's just like, oh, there's a whole world out sure. here. There's oh, I can make new friends. I can find new activities to do. And and, and so she has an awakening mm-hmm. during this show. And I find that interesting because it's very it's handled so innocently in a way that like, I mean, on one hand, a, a person could just listen to some of the stuff Isabel says and be like, oh, my God, Isabel's so racist because I'm one, I mean, she just doesn't know, though. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think think is so interesting is the innocent discovery of having that privilege and the awakening to like not everybody has this privilege and how can I be an ally how can I help how can I not be one of the people who's oppressing mm-hmm. and I mean she doesn't know and so she finds she like through the course of this play she's trying to learn how to be someone who can help you know and and not be one of the oppressors mm-hmm. from a wider scope too um Isabel sort of represents um, exposure in a sense. So just what you were speaking about too, exposure to what's not been seen in her life. It's it, especially between her and Tommy, it seems as if a lot of the time Isabel for herself is trying to answer why, you know, why can't, why can't we be friends? Mm -hmm. Why can't this exist? Just how I've grown up and made friends before. Why can't we mix? when Tommy's really just trying to convince her of the, you've got to understand. And then that's flatline. You know what I mean? Um, not only with her, with her, with himself too. You got to understand the circumstances, you know, um, until you understand the circumstances, dot, 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 because there's no answer to it. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't find the answer. You just have to understand. And then maybe we can be friends or maybe we can't be friends, but 
considering the um, environment that we are around, it's nearly impossible. And that's the that's mm-hmm. the battle that they both go through most of the time. It's time for a break. This is Johnny Diani's We Will Be Together off the 1983 album Suburban Fantasies with Joe Bonner. More on Nathal Fugard's 1989 play My Children, My Africa when Interchange returns on WFHB. Welcome back. I'm Doug Storm, and this is Interchange. Our show today is about Athol Fugard's play, My Children, My Africa. I'm speaking with Murray McGibbon, Tara Cusano, and Yusef Ugumbiade, the director and two cast members in a local production of the play, which opens this Thursday, April 27th. Before the break, we talked about the paradox of friendship between the wealthy white student Isabel and the impoverished township student Tommy, who claims a Bantu heritage of a hundred generations. Now we'll turn to the use of English romantic poetry in the play and in Bantu education programs as an example of a literature espousing transcendent freedom, but one offered in the language and worldview of the oppressor. One of the things that's clear in here is that the choice of competition, the choice of English literature is a clear indication too of the oppressor's language and the, the oppressor's romantic poetry, etc. And, and to imagine Mr. M, um, again, being on the side of the oppressor in some sense, right? Well, absolutely. I mean, he was working for the Department of Bantu Education, which was a, right. a really evil apartheid structure. And it's interesting that these two uh, schools are teaching the same romantic English poetry mm-hmm. uh, and that Mr. M is really invested in that. He's mm-hmm. been indoctrinated as well by right. the system. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in apartheid South Africa and it was only when I went to university did I understand that there was actually something wrong mm-hmm. because uh, apartheid was an evil system, but it was extremely successful in keeping people apart. Mm-hmm. 
and so I grew up on a farm, and my my school friends were. Uh, well, my friends, while I was growing up, were little black kids mm-hmm. who were the children of laborers who worked on our farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when I get, got home, I would play with them and we'd kick a soccer ball around and they were my friends. Mm-hmm. But when I went to school, there were no black people. Mm-hmm. You just never saw them around at all. Mm-hmm. And so it was a very uh, peculiar, looking back on it now, you know, you just think, why didn't you think more about it? Right. But, um, you know, black people lived in certain areas, white people lived in certain areas, and you just didn't encounter people. Mm-hmm. So Fugard, I think, has been an extraordinary, almost a soothsayer that with his plays that he was able to lance the boil or the wound of apartheid and really, you know, just mm-hmm. cut into it in a very um, delicate but also fairly vicious way. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that he is he will be known in time as one of the liberators, one of the great white liberators of South Africa through his plays. Hmm. Hmm. It's contentious enough to imagine you need a white liberator too, though I think it's an interesting aspect of um, Fugard as the voice of this particular situation in his, again, it's hard to disentangle the optics of it, right? Uh, And the fact that which voice do you find most prominent in its moderating tendencies, not only Mr. M, who, as you say, has been indoctrinated as well, does have very clear uh, ideas about debate as a value, right, and to try to move within a reform, perhaps, way. So this this play, to me, is is a kind of question about reform from within, and again, using the language of the oppressor, versus the Tommy end of things, right? Mm-hmm. Which says, this is not my language. Now, one thing that um, Fugard has written about and, um, is that he chose some of that poetry mm. as uh, almost like symbolism mm-hmm. for Mr. M getting across like, oh, I want you to be a freedom fighter in a weird, subtle way because oh, okay. freedom, Byron's... Um, poetry, a love of freedom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's even some of that, the language is quoted, it's very overt. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's a, sort of like weird messages through the study of the English literature okay. within within that, that is like encouraging him to to take a stand. Mm-hmm. But well, I think in the, in the not throwing sticks and stones kind of right, way, right. but in the, in the like MLK, I'm going to use my words, I'm going to, mm-hmm. you know, march peacefully kind of way, I think, what mm-hmm. Mr. M probably wants. Yeah. Do you get a sense that that, I mean, Tommy doesn't seem to think that that's going to be worth doing or make, make a difference. Tommy, especially, um, as a moment in the play, I won't give much away from that, but there's a, there's a sense in the play where, um, Tommy, especially when he was young, he grew up loving, loving the idea of, uh, you know, progression, you know, um, and, and given that sense, as you pointed out before, he is a very, very, um, I guess, let's say, a very skilled scholar. Mm-hmm. He just gets it. And then when he was able to at least think more independently, he got to a sense that what he, in, I guess, he implemented the um, ideas of what works and what doesn't. And what am I now, what am I now absor- absorbing, you know? Mm-hmm. What was the classroom before? What used to be safe for him is now, is now a dark place. Mm-hmm. And so it's not working for him anymore. School used to work. Now it's not working. Mm. And it's not working for him. It's not working for his people. Right. 
And so just like what you pointed out before, it's 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 tricky to pick a side between the three of them <laughs> because it's more so Fugard highlighted their perspectives and let it out for the audience to sort of judge and say, well, who do you side with? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. um, I think that's the beauty in his language is because you don't leave the play with a side. Mm. You don't leave the play with poetic justice. Right. You leave with questions mm -hmm. that you must answer for yourself. This is Doug Storm on Interchange. I'm speaking with Murray McGibbon, Terry Cusano, and Yusef Agunbiati, the director and two cast members of a local production of Athol Fugard's 1989 play, My Children, My Africa. You know, it's it, to me, I, I guess I hear more of um, Isabel's position being privileged, and to hesitate to use that word, but... Um, you know, she, she curses the country a few times. Um, and yet, you know, again, she, she is the, the model that I guess you want to be helpful in the world, right? As, mm -hmm. uh, but the question always is, can the white man's burden free you? I mean, yeah. you know, you, you have to free yourself, right? And, mm -hmm. and freeing yourself means freeing yourself against the white people. Mm -hmm. I mean, it does leave the audience with a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. And I and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this show, because I I don't feel like enough theater is done that makes people think. Mm. And I um, and, and that's fine. I mean, it's hard to, you know, get people out if it's not a musical. Right. <laughs> but I but there's a lot of value in plays like this, because this is so relevant to what's happening this day and age and these questions need to be asked I mean you know I need to ask myself these questions every day you know like what can I do well how can I be more helpful what am I where am I privileged and where am I taking advantage of that and not um, giving more or like being more open and I just I think these questions are there there are no answers mm -hmm. <laughs> there are no answers and that's what I think this play says and I think Isabel even says that like you, you're like, what are the answer? You know, th there are answers, and I'm like, they don't make any sense, Tommy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, mm. it just doesn't. It's just going to keep going, but we have to keep thinking mm -hmm. critically. Right. Well, the 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 major question is, do you do anything if you're just thinking and talking? That's the question right. I think Tommy wants to answer. Yeah. And that's one, and that's the scary part, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I, I mean, I could spend hours speaking on my perspective, uh, just like my personal perspective. Mm -hmm. I won't do that. But I think that's what scares me, especially about Isabel's character, mm -hmm. is because I have friends just like her who ask what they can, what can they do? Mm -hmm. You know, someone who has grown up with unwanted privilege, because mm -hmm. I would say that Isabel is a character that's that didn't, didn't necessarily ask for privilege, but mm -hmm. she grew. She was born that way. Sure. And now her trying to figure out for herself, how can I help? But then she gets to escape at the end of the day yeah. and go back into her world. Right. That's Tommy's perspective on the whole ordeal. Mm -hmm. I think what's interesting, and I'm, I'm learning a lot about the play through this interview, um, it was that Fugard was himself not a, a white privileged man. Mm. He came from very, very humble beginnings and and most of his friends were black workers in the eastern cape and 
he actually came to Bloomington a couple of years ago. Oh, really? And, and, and I met him and we became friends subsequent mm. to that. But he is not your typical white South African person at all. Mm. And if anything, he's almost speaking from an Afrikaans perspective, although he wasn't really Afrikaans. And I think he's, he, he told me that when, when he writes, what he's trying to do is to expunge his own pain. Mm. And I think those were his exact words. Mm. Uh, because he he's, he's deeply feeling, but if you meet him, he is he's like a a tramp walking down the street. You know, he's just totally unaffected. He's, there are no airs and graces. Mm. And uh, it, it was interesting to me when I was researching another one of his plays that I directed here, Master Harold and the Boys, that he actually began his working life as a motor mechanic. Mm. Now in South Africa, that would be one of the lowest of the low menial jobs mm. that a white person could do. Mm-hmm. And he then became a merchant seaman for a number of years. So he, okay. you know, he, he, he's really lived a very simple, right. um, tough, rough life. Yeah. He's a laborer, yep. a worker. Mm-hmm. And so he identifies enormously yeah. okay. with those problems. Well, that's interesting, very interesting. Uh, you know, we still confront these things, obviously, and we think about solidarity. Solidarity comes from the working class, so we talk about the working class needing to stand up against the boss, mm-hmm. uh, and still the case, always is the case, right? And the divisions we have, in, especially racial divisions, work to keep us from fighting the boss. <laughs> and that's pretty clear in this play as well. I think what's also interesting is that Mr. M and Tommy are both black people, but they are also... Mm-hmm. Quite polarized, mm-hmm. and they, um, you know, t- Mr. M. Although he's fond of Tommy, is also a very against a lot of what he what he stands for, yeah. and and that's also a reality a reality within South Africa to this present day that there are tribal groupings that don't understand each other because they speak totally different languages. Mm. And I grew up in South Africa and without knowing that there are 27 different ethnic groups mm. and 11 official languages in the country, yeah. which is smaller than the size of Texas. Oh, I didn't have any clue. Wow. Well, I didn't either. <laughs> and I grew up there. It was only when I went to college okay. that I started to learn these things. Right. You know, and right. so it was always a mystery to me because I never encountered white on black and black on white violence mm. my entire life living there. But there is certainly black-on-black violence Mm -hmm. and white-on-white violence. Mm -hmm. And right now, um, many, many years after Mandela's release, the country is probably in its most perilous, difficult time in its history. Mm. Well, looks like we all are. (laughs) (laughs) It's time for another break. This is Blame It on the Boers, another from Johnny Diani off the 1984 album Africa. When we come back, we'll welcome Michelle Moyd, IU professor of history, to consider education's role in the world of apartheid. Stay with us for more on Atoll Fugard's My Children, My Africa, when Interchange returns.
Welcome back. I'm Doug Storm, and this is Interchange. Our show today is about Athol Fugard's play, My Children, My Africa. In this half of the show, I'm joined by Michelle Moyd, Associate Professor in the Department of History at Indiana University and Associate Director of the Center for Research on Race and Ethnicity in Society. Throughout, we try to read the play as pertinent to our cultural moment in the United States, as well as pertinent to people who live within the safety of liberal institutions, like the university and municipalities that support them. We begin with an exploration of the liberal humanist perspective in the play, and it's suggested that this is best illustrated by the character of Isabel. It's an interesting juxtaposition, I suppose, between the privileged white girl, uh, young lady, young woman, who um, is very familiar with Mr. M, you know, speaks speaks back to him, mm-hmm. speaks as if they're colleagues, or she's she probably mm-hmm. imagines herself above him anyway, mm-hmm. and, and just naturally does so, not even having to think about it, yeah. but just puts herself in that place, right? Yeah. She's on par with her teachers, at least, and... and uh, um, and Tommy's like, uh, you know, he does. He would never speak to his teacher like that, mm-hmm. right? Um, but every time she speaks, she does tend to be uh, generally racist in terms of, you know, uh, I came from my stuffy girls' school, which it's all discipline and buttoned up, and I come here and have so much fun with mm-hmm. your loose attitudes. Right. And, you know, it's just um, one of the things that, strikes me as pretty consistent throughout, you know, how we, how we characterize, uh, black people, not mm-hmm. only in America, but anywhere else. Right. Uh, it, um, and Melville does this in Benito Sereno too. It, uh, he has the Portuguese, uh, captain, slave ship captain and the American captain talk about how, how playful and, and happy go lucky mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, Africans are as yeah. they're, you know, enslaved on the ship yeah. and singing and all happy. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of a continuation of, of how we imagine white people being being so ridiculous uh, in their assumptions and mm-hmm. um, and she represents that right mm-hmm. um, and she I guess she with her easy belief and superiority feels like anybody should be her friend yeah and I mean it's very much a critique of to me it's a critique well maybe just because of the moment we're in too it's a critique of liberalism right, right. right. <laughs> it's um, it's very easy to feel like you're doing you're doing something when you're, uh, you know, reaching out or mm-hmm. socializing with or somehow engaging with people who have less than you. Mm-hmm. And so for her, it's kind of an adventure and an experiment right. um, and a, a friendship kind of emerges out of it. Right. But what are the terms of that friendship? And I think that's also one of the kind of powerful passages towards the end of the book mm-hmm. or the play where, um, you know, Tommy kind of points out to her that friendship right. What is friendship under these circumstances, right? right? Um, it yeah. doesn't cost her anything. Right. It costs him a lot. Right. Um, right. So. When you get a sense that that's the, um, like the play has a feeling for that particular critique of, um, you know, if we imagine, and we don't have to imagine that Fugard is himself a uh, liberal humanist, I imagine, right? Mm-hmm. So um, does the play participate in Isabel's, you know, kind of thinking? I think so. I mean, by giving, again, giving her the last mm-hmm. word um, and... and, and uh... I, it, I guess it would depend on uh, seeing the play staged and mm-hmm. how it's delivered and all of that. But, I mean, that ending is kind of 
kumbaya, right? Like, <laughs> it very um, much is, right? It's like Private Ryan. If, you, if you've seen Private Ryan, I know it's a weird thing to say here, <laughs> but, but I thought it reminded me of Private Ryan where he said uh, uh, at the end, you know, we've all given so much for mm-hmm. you, now make something of your life. Yes. Right? Yes. Right, right. Uh, and it's, so it's a very pat ending mm-hmm. in some ways that I, that I think, I don't know. I'm just thinking about this now as as I'm talking about it, but perhaps undermines some of the more complex things that Fugard is able to do in the play mm-hmm. um, and seems to want to give comfort to people, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I think one of who, one of the people you were interviewing in the in the segment that I listened to earlier was talking about it being a play that you would leave, you know, you'd be in your car and you'd mm-hmm. be silent. Um, probably black people wouldn't be silent. I mean, you know, so I don't know. I mean, it, it's, uh, right. yeah, it seems to me that he is, he is in certain ways caught up in the liberal humanism that we all are, right? Mm-hmm. And most of us are, unless you happen to be somebody right. who's actually a practicing anarchist or on right. the radical right. fringes. But, um, it is, it does very much, again, Mr. M illustrates this the best, right? It's a trap that, um, because it is so appealing and so comfortable in certain ways, this idea of freedom that comes through um, having been, having worked hard and having mm-hmm. educated oneself and all of that stuff. Once you've done that, then you're supposed to just be able to ride it out. Um, but what about all those people who, who don't get to participate? Right. It's fake and it's hollow and it's false. Right. So. Right. This is Doug Storm on Interchange. Our show is about Athol Fugard's play, My Children, My Africa. My guest is Michelle Moyd, associate professor in the Department of History at Indiana University. For me, in terms of trying to understand much of what's happening in the world, is trying to, um, I guess, worry about my own participation, right? Mm-hmm. So to me, this play is useful in that sense, at least, right? Yeah. I, I, you know, am I Isabel? Uh, it's one of those things you you always question for yourself. How, how do you make a difference? And when you make a difference, you hurt yourself frequently. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to hurt yourself. Yeah. Right. It's hard to commit some act that that, you know, that will end up damaging you or your own family or your mm-hmm. your own sense of the future. Mm-hmm. Um, as if you're responsible for the past. You know, that's what you have to continue to understand. But I don't think you necessarily have to hurt yourself, but in some ways you have to expect to be hurt. Yes. Right? Yes, it's exactly. not that you have to participate in the hurting, but <laughs> you have to realize that in some ways you're, you're, the pain that you might experience is very justified. Mm-hmm. You know, that the situation is such that you you personally don't deserve it, but you deserve it generally as, <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a culture, perhaps, you know, as a, as, right. a, as a ruling body even. Right, and that the costs of actually doing something more forceful to change things might be significant. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, I, I looked up South Africa in 1984 just because I wasn't exactly mm-hmm. sure what was happening at that time. And I mean, uh, I was just on Wikipedia, mm-hmm. full confession. Um, but it, it gives you a month-by-month sort of list of um, all of these bombings and mm. attacks that were occurring um, by that were being done by Mkonto Wesizwe, the the armed wing of the ANC that was operating, um, you know, outside, uh, essentially based outside of South Africa, but then doing these um, kind of low footprint attacks that wouldn't draw a lot of attention to the perpetrators, but mm-hmm. that would cause some kind of damage to mm-hmm. South Africa's infrastructure. And there were, 
I mean, I don't know, at least three a month sort of thing. Mm. So this is the moment where in South Africa you get, I mean, there'd been a long running discussion of constructing opposition to the government as terrorism. But mm-hmm. I mean, you can he- really see in this just this one year, the degree to which the the uh, MK was was sort of performing that that role as an armed wing and as resistance to apartheid and actually causing right. harm to other people, for which they and their families also suffered, right? right. I mean, right. The, the, the crackdown on on communities as a result of that uh, being labeled as terrorists right. is exactly what you would expect from right. from a police state, right? right. So, yeah. Um, now it's fair to, I mean, again, that's cheating a little bit, Michelle, in terms of coming to our play without knowledge, but um, <laughs> but it is important. Obviously, in the play is set in 1984, and you're right. There's there's a real sense that we have to think about it within that that place though is moderation is debate is conversation is education valuable is it uh, is it worth chucking all that to side and 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 having some violent revolution in order to be free in mm-hmm. order to say enough of this south african white supremacist rule uh you know there there aren't very many of you here <laughs> why why have we been dealing with this this way you know yeah. there's this sense that that's the primary question, especially 1984 making a, making a difference here if we know what we're talking mm-hmm. about in the play, if we know why it's set in 1984. Mm-hmm. You know, if it says, this is a real issue, we're going to, you know, this is, we're going to reflect on the fact that there is constant, uh, almost what, a guerrilla warfare mm-hmm. happening. And one must make a decision. Mm-hmm. Here is Bantu education that has been keeping us in our place for mm-hmm. so long. Uh, and anyone that agrees with us a collaborator mm-hmm. and we have to decide. Yeah. Are you with us or are you against us? Yeah. You know, you do take sides at that point, yeah. right? And uh, there is no system to be within. You mm-hmm. know, you can't reform white right. supremacy you know, from within, right. right? So this is the play, right? This is the question. Yeah. And as we know, human life is wasted in that situation yeah. for the hope of a better day, perhaps, right? right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't moderate to that. Right. This is the point, I think, yeah. right? Now, yeah. how we set, you know, how you sit within it, mm-hmm. you know, what I think, what you think, what, what, what character, you know, do we agree with Tommy? Do we agree with Mr. M? Do we, I, I hope no one agrees with Isabel, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what she even means in the right. play other than being a representative of the oppressor that's cheery and nice. Yeah. You know, it's a part of the problem with the oppressor. And curious, right? right? I mean, right. she's curious. Well, it's, it, I, think, I think she's really interesting for that. I, you know, in a, in a way, she's not interesting. In another way, she's very interesting for you to approach and say, this is the, uh, the oppressor is nice, too. Mm-hmm. They're not just the, you know, all the evil men, yes. and it's men, generally, the yeah. evil men who are perpetrating these horrible things on people. This really nice girl mm-hmm. who's very friendly mm-hmm. and wants to be friends mm-hmm. and wants everybody to get along. Yeah is the person that you probably need to kill too. <laughs> I mean, you know, and generally that's right. what has to happen. Is right. If you're going to turn it over, yeah. it's got to turn over fully. Yes. And that's your, what you're confronted with. And, and I think it's intentional to have such a nice, friendly, perfectly white, wonderful girl. Mm-hmm. You know, and a girl in particular. It's yeah. not a white boy that comes over and is friendly. Right. Right. So that's, that's an issue as well, I suppose. But... Yeah. Um, it, that's that's the point. Mm-hmm. So it turns out to be more of a barbed play than I'd imagined. 
Mm-hmm. You know, as I read, I thought, oh, this is pretty pat. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, easy to see which character is going to do what. Yeah. I, I, you know, whatever Mr. M does doesn't exactly surprise me. Yeah. And, um, but thinking about it, you know, what do you really have to do? to make a difference here yeah. in this kind of drastic space. Exactly. Um, as it was happening all around you. Yeah. Right? It's not like you couldn't, like you didn't choose sides. You were in tra- You had to choose. Yeah. You had to, right? Yeah. It's time for a break. Again, we're enjoying the music of South African jazz double bassist and pianist Johnny Diani. This is Joburg to New York, off of the 1979 album Song for Biko. Welcome back to Interchange. I'm Doug Storm. Our discussion today centers on Athol Fugard's My Children, My Africa. I've been talking with Michelle Moy. Before the break, we've been discussing the liberal humanism of the white man's burden that's on display in the play. We return to examine the idea of civility, debate, and moderation within contexts of gross deprivation and degradation as compared to the easy life of the mind within university walls a life that has created a kind of culture of self-censorship. These conversations are being had right now mm-hmm. amongst um, amongst Americans, yeah. right? In, and, you know, I don't know that people are talking about armed revolution, at least not in circles that I travel in, but certainly mm-hmm. people are talking about, you know, the value of um, protest whether or not it's, uh, you know, if there's any, if protest doesn't come off as completely peaceful in some kind of, right. you know, imagined MLK way, then it's blamed for um, for causing harm to the cause of, you know, confronting the right or confronting the oppressor or however mm-hmm. you want to cast it. Um, so it's been really interesting, actually, to see liberals kind of expose their position mm-hmm. on civility on right. um you know what counts as proper right, resistance right, right. um 
And it's been eye-opening to me, I mm-hmm. mean, and sort of having to think about what I would be willing mm-hmm. to do or um, what I would risk mm-hmm. in order to change things politically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these are all, I think these are questions we should all be asking ourselves. Yeah, right? yeah. no, and it's why the play is important. It's why it's important that it's being played. It's, a, it's why... Uh, it was interesting to me after we just had, you know, Bill Crystal on campus uh, and we had um, meetings of moderation and civility on campus and Charles, Charles Murray, Murray as well, um, which seems like for some reason the I don't understand, but there's a, 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 like a white Republican conservative thing going on in the world where it feels like they feel like they should speak mm-hmm. for some reason, like they haven't already for hundreds yeah. of years. Well, not only should they speak, but they should um, construct themselves as being victimized oh, by <laughs> liberal universities. Of course. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the part that I find most amusing. It um, is amusing. It's, if, if it weren't so enraging. Enraging yeah, yeah, and yeah. amusing. Right, yeah, right. So. This is Doug Storm on Interchange. Our show is about Athol Fugard's play, My Children, My Africa. My guest is Michelle Moyd, Associate Professor in the Department of History at Indiana University. I have yet to have a conversation with um, uh, Aurelian Kreitu, who you know wrote a book recently, The Faces of Moderation, and he's been involved in these places, in these mm-hmm. these particular things. Um, but we did have a show on civility, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was fascinating and fascinating for uh, for its hero, which mm-hmm. is Roger Williams, who was happy to call you all sorts of names and have you call him all sorts of names because that's the only way you could do it mm-hmm. was that was civility. You didn't uh-huh. kill each other, but you right. allowed each other to say whatever you wanted right. and you figured it out or you did it. Uh-huh. <laughs> as long as you didn't kill each other, it seemed okay. I think <laughs> yeah. so. Um, I don't know. <laughs> this is not that this mm-hmm. is, there is, there is the idea that you, you're going to suffer the possibility of death in this situation yes. and believing that that's okay. I mean, that's a thing you've got to do. I've been listening to Manning Marable's, uh, Malcolm X, uh, biography. And it's one of the things that, you know, Malcolm X says all the time too, you know, if we, Hey, this is something we're going to die for. Right. We're, you need to, you need to believe that when you join with us, this well, yeah. is a thing we're going to die for. Yeah. And certainly, um, that sentiment gets expressed in popular culture as well, right? And, uh, Biggie, Biggie's mm. album "Ready to Die" was <laughs> sort of the quintessential expression mm-hmm. of that in the '90s, right? I mean, that there are um, there are segments of our population that don't experience life in America as as we do, as mm-hmm. middle class, right. you know, right. university town right. citizens. So. Um, it's important to take all of that on yeah. board and to see it as it is. And and I think this is what I've been telling my students um, since November, that uh, it's worth it to spend some time with yourself asking yourself these kinds of questions. Like, what what are you willing to tolerate? What are you – what's the line in the sand for mm-hmm. you as best you can imagine? Of course, not knowing how you'll actually respond in the circumstances. Right. But, um, you know, what what – What's your line? What's right, the right, what right. matters to you, and and how will you defend what you believe? Because mm-hmm. um, it could come to that, right? right? 
Well, I, I struggle a little bit with higher education, education generally, because, you know, it does serve the state uh, as its primary role in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know? And as we continue with the universities becoming more business-like, I mean, they have been for some time, but uh, I do I do feel collaborationist myself in many ways. And, and uh, even though wanting to, even though I just said all those things, like that's my resistance, you know, mm-hmm. I said, uh, this is a collaboration yeah. and I don't want to do that. I don't want to say it's okay to have higher education, which structures us this particular way. Mm-hmm. But I get very frustrated because I think it's the concentrated place where you could actually have some things move in a direction, yeah. right? That I think would be for better, mm-hmm. right? Um, where we could struggle against these issues we're facing, these real issues. Yeah. Um, but I don't think we can mm-hmm. at all, right? I still feel like there's no way to do it. Right. Um, well, yeah, because we're all sort of operating within um, the framework that's been set up for us. Right. And, you know, again, Tommy is the one who right. uh, who decides otherwise. Right. We're the Tommies. But we, <laughs> we, they scare us, right? Yes. And so, so Tom, like actually Yusuf says this in the interview, he's scared of Tommy's position mm-hmm. because it's probably the right one. Mm-hmm. And it's a scary thing to imagine being Tommy yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. Or in feeling that you'd have to deal with your quote unquote friends a a particular way. Um, That's that's an important realization. Mm -hmm. And it's a scary one. It is. Because you are a person and you were grown. You grew up a particular way. And it kind of works against your your background frequently, especially Mm -hmm. if you can come to college. You're you're middle class generally. You're. Yeah. yeah, That's. Yeah. And I mean, I've I have people I have friends who are far left of me for sure who who talk about things in these right now in these terms right i mean Mm. they they say that they're ready to die Mm. i'm not i'm just not (laughs) you know like i have i have a kid and i have a house and i'm you know all of that stuff right Right. so uh, i mean it we are all sort of stuck um not all of us because some of us are you know in the kind of socioeconomic fringe or in on levels that um where perhaps they do feel like it wouldn't matter if they Mm -hmm. lived or died but that's not that's not my experience and Mm -hmm. i can you know i feel myself frequently stopping short of saying what i really want to say because you know we all are aware of um the boundaries and and how you can cross them and um but there's and there's something chilling about that, right? That we're all involved in these sort of exercises of self censorship and right. and even stopping ourselves before we've been told to, right? right? I mean, right. Um, before before we need to, right? Right. right. Um, so that so that's all that's all really um, disturbing, mm-hmm. in as much as it makes you realize how how much this uh, this capitalist game has worked. Right. On us, and it's, right. um, it's inside of you. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, so for in that regard, I, I respect the people who are far mm-hmm. to my left mm-hmm. who who have gotten it much earlier than I have, and sort of mm. see things as they are, and right. say, "Well, you know." Well, you know what? I th- yeah, I, I think that there's a, a real like there's a part of me that's always wanted to say, "I I wouldn't want to die either," mm-hmm. but I wouldn't mind a change. Mm-hmm. Like there's a like there's a sense where I, I say, well, I'd give up what I have if you give up what you yes, have and yes. we go ahead and figure out what it is to have given everything up. Absolutely. And what's what's the new way to be? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, is it going to be so terrible I don't have Netflix? Mm-hmm. 
You know, is it going right. to be so terrible if I have to go garden or farm or, you know, yeah, <laughs> right, it might exactly. be, it might be terrible. I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, the idea is that, is there an equal space where we can not have more than other people, mm-hmm. you know, so we don't create people who are angry yeah. or we don't create people who have uh, resentment, mm-hmm. don't create people who are a little bit uh, troubled or mm-hmm. a lot troubled because mm-hmm. of the life they've lived. You know, we create these problems right. with this inequality, with this hierarchy of who's more valuable than others. And yes. I I'm more than willing to say, I don't need what I have. You can give up what you have. Can't we, as long as we eat and we're safe. Yeah, I agree. Safe is hard because you you don't get to guarantee that one. But um, But getting to eat and getting to be healthy. Yeah. um, You know, those seem like seem like things that we should all want. Should should be simple enough. (laughs) To have for each other. Right. That's our show. Thanks to Murray McGibbon, Tara Cusano, and Yusef Ogunbiadi, the director and two cast members of a local production of Athol Fugard's 1989 play, My Children, My Africa, which opens this Thursday, April 27th, next door to our WFHB studios in the Fire Bay Theater of the Ivy Tech Waldron Arts Center in downtown Bloomington. Thanks also to Michelle Moy, Associate Professor in the Department of History at Indiana University and Associate Director of the Center for Research on Race and Ethnicity in Society. Our final song from Johnny Diani is Heart with a Miner's Face, off of the 1978 album Witch Doctor's Son. I'm Doug Storm. Thanks for listening. I produce Interchange. Assistant producer is Rob Schoon. Jennifer Brooks is board engineer, and Joe Crawford is our executive producer. Stay tuned for Counterspin, followed by the Jazz Menagerie, Coming up next on your community radio station, WFHB.